0: Welcome to Functional Design and Closure. I'm Christoph Newman and I am Nate Jones. We're here to help you use closure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and more fulfilling. Yeah,
1: yeah, we're here to help. Uh, if you have questions about closure or functional programming or um, uh, something in the middle, or you are an object-oriented programmer and you would like to explore uh, how you might solve your problems using functional programming uh, and, and all the goodness that we found in Clojure, uh, we, really, we really enjoy it, so we would like for you to enjoy it too.
0: Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to reach us, you can hit us up on Twitter at Design. You can send us an email to feedback at closuredesign.club or you can hop in our Clojurian Slack podcast channel and it is called Dash podcast Yeah, please do.
1: Uh, In fact, this the topic for today's episode comes from that very same uh, podcast channel. Um, we, uh, we were talking a little while ago um, and I can't remember the person who, who brought it up, but it was talking, we talking, the question was around deployment. Like, you know, how, how do you take code that you've written, that you've developed, you know, you've lovingly handcrafted on your system, on your dev system. And you think that it's ready for the world to see how, how on earth do you, do you, do you send that out into the world and in, into production, you know, Production—the big yeah. P word, P- capital P production.
0: Right, and obviously there's many, many ways to do this. So we're just going to talk about a few ways that we've done. Of course, if you have a way that is your favorite, we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear how you get your closure, <laughs> your your closure. Wow, your closure server side code out into the wild.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how do you get closure on your development of your closure code? Um, yes, and, and I think, I think it's interesting cause, um, I, I always, whenever someone says, you know, production, I always think, well, what do you mean by production? Cause production can mean a lot of different things. It can mean, you know, uh, you know, I'm the one who's going to use it and I want to have something separate than my development instance. And sometimes it's, I want to deploy this to 5 million users, you know? And so I think that sometimes will influence what kind of deployment, you know, um, of th- that you might choose to, to do, and how much you need to manage it, uh, depending right. on, on like, the, sc- the scope of that of that production.
0: Right. And so I think I think maybe we could talk about this in two halves. Well, I wouldn't even say halves. Like like one 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 tenth and nine tenths. <laughs> <laughs> the one tenth part would be closure script. So generally, when we deploy front end code we We build static assets and then we deploy them to a web server of our choosing nginx, a CDN. um sometimes we can even have the backend serve it out because the backend runs a web server for our stuff. So I think like closure script is pretty straightforward you You deploy that the way you deploy any <laughs> static web content. <laughs> I love <laughs> That's that the one tenth of the conversation, right? I,
1: I love that you said the words closure script is relatively straightforward or is straightforward. Um, because oh, I'm sorry, De- deploying. <laughs> yes, the deployment is is straightforward. It's funny because the actual compiling of of Closure Script is is not not as straightforward as it could be. I guess. Um, yeah. It is possible, but yes, as far as deployment goes, yeah. By the time they get to the deployment, it's just a bunch of static files and we just serve it up, no
0: matter where. Well, and there is good news on the compiling front. Uh, we should probably cover that in a different episode. But Closure Script is very friendly with Node modules now. So that makes it, npm, I should say, technically modules, that makes it a little easier for ClojureScript to reach out to the JavaScript world and get bundled up that way. But yeah, that, yeah, we make static stuff and put it on a web server. That's a really short version of that. <laughs> okay, so now for the other nine-tenths of the episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, deploying the backend, right? So Yeah, I think... I think there's like two major approaches, one of which I I personally like discarded so many years ago, I I couldn't even tell you how to do it. So the two major approaches are you run a web server in your process space, like an embedded web server, like something like Aleph or Jetty, or there's a lot of choices. The other way is you make um, servlet compatible handlers, because um, No Ring by default, I think is servlet compatible. I just can't even remember, you mm. know. And then you deploy it inside some like servlet container. I haven't done that in so long. I, I just think it's generally a bad idea since you're going to run a process. You might as well just run the web server, right? Oh, so I, that's yeah. sort of a major choice that I made a long time ago.
1: I see what you mean. So the idea of do I want to run my own Java process or do I run it and run my application inside of something like Tomcat or, you know. Whatever the whatever uh, right. web application server, yeah. Oh, yeah. That definitely, gosh, it's been years since I've done that.
0: Right. The servlet road is you're basically making a fragment of an application that's bundled up in a jar that then you, Tomcat would be the application or Jetty would be the application that is actually running and it, it uh, somehow magically discovers your stuff because of some war descriptor or whatever. You know, and then goes and reaches into the jar, which you put on the class path. So it's like, It goes to war. Yeah, let's do dynamic linking at runtime with XML and Java class path discovery. You know, it's, I don't know why this seemed like a good idea to somebody, but it's it's not the approach I prefer. So I I never do it that way. I think, (laughs) I think, I think. We have we like par- part of the
1: reason why it might be because you know you have some sort of performance you know enhancement. but I think a lot of the the, the web the web adapters that we have in Clojure are are capable. and, and, and things like Netty and um, and those toolkits have made it so that basically listening on a port and answering HTTP is relatively straightforward.
0: Right. So our, our sort of first choice when we make a service on the server side is we run an embedded web server. We tend to use Aleph, which is using Netty under the hood. And so Aleph is going to run. And we hand Aleph our routes, as we have been talking about in our Web of Complexity series. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess maybe this could be, this could yes. be a nice uh, endpoint in that series, right? We want to actually make this thing run. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and so embed the so web server, <laughs> it's
0: really it's really relatively straightforward to to make an uber jar out of our code.
1: And then and then all we have is 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 that jar, you know, with that like we might have some environment variables that, that will change the behavior of that of that jar, but but there's no like it's not a not a whole tree of files or anything we have to manage. Um, so I think I think probably the simplest way of of deploying is to just copy that jar onto a server that is not your development machine, <laughs> and um and in a like a tmux window or something like that, just you know java dash jar run it. You know, I mean
0: this. Yeah, is- Yeah, it's it the jar can just do just it, good, right? Good it's, it's all easier. there. Yeah, yeah. It opens a port. You can make a script. I I legit in the past have made a shell script that ran Java. With all the right options and and had the Uber jar. And then I had a cron script that would wake up periodically and it would grep through the process list to see if Java was still running. And if it wasn't, it would like run the script again. It's right? like <laughs> this. Kron- this was not a high availability kind of scenario. This oh. was like, oh, I had a web. I had a web. API. I just want it available in like quick and dirty way. <laughs> oh, that that come on. Cron does a great job of have, have, have helping with a high availability. Um. Well, you know, it, it can be down <laughs> for up to a minute since Cron only wakes up once a minute, right? <laughs> right. But th- but I think that works really well for for you know like
1: there, there's a lot a lot of complexity that come with with deployments. You know, we'll get to more of that later, I guess. But you know, you know the the, the JVM is its own. You know, container. It's its own. It, it has the runtime. It has you know memory management. It's everything in, included. So all you need to do is supply your jar, and and you have right. a relatively robust um, uh, deployment.
0: Right. And so, and if you can make a shell script for running the jar with all the right options, you can pretty easily after that make a system D script if you want. Right. Uh-oh. Like system. So system D <laughs> is like so daunting because. What they they basically took all of the pet features from all the distributions and put them into one sort of disturbingly complex thing but actually making a systemd script isn't too bad it's very similar to upstart which came out of uh debian and ubuntu and um you, you basically define a block like run this shell command when you want it to start run this shell command when you want it to stop it's it's not not yeah. too terrible. No, and, it, and
1: it, 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 it's nice because it actually makes it so that instead of cron being the one that will one by every one minute, you know, check to make sure your process is running, systemd is a little more, you know, um, uh, Johnny on the spot and make sure that your process is running. And so if it fails, it'll
0: start to back up again right away. Right, systemd has restart policies. And so that's like a big feature over just a plain init script, right? You can You can set a restart policy so then you can tell it to, if it dies, pick it back up again. So it's it's pretty straightforward. So I, I've done a stint with system D system D scripts too. You know, and I usually I think I use FPM to make um Debian like Deb packages and RPM packages to install the system D script and the jar and all that. That was that was back before containers. Yeah, I think <laughs> arrived on I, I think that's the, the thing
1: that really it changed a lot of the deployment world um, is is Docker and containers. I mean Docker and all of the other stuff, but I think Docker is the first level because um, it has a lot of a lot of the facilities that we need, like restart policies and um, and, and and packaging. You know, I, I think it's interesting because uh, you know. Java itself is a container. Like the JVM is a container that has like its own processes and its own management and everything. And so, you know, the question is why, why would you run your, your JVM, which is a container inside of another container? Like there's, there's now two levels of container. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's a lot of reasons why, but one, one that comes to mind is that, you know, you might want to have a different version of Java that, your application uses than the one that might be installed on the system, you know, uh, or or there might be some facilities that you need, like uh, um, you know shell scripts or other things that you need your program calls, you know, that you want to bundle along with it. So it helps, yeah, it helps with that. Yeah,
0: for me, for me, the the containers, like like using containers, really changed my mentality toward deployment. Pri- prior to containers. It was all about how do I get a specific installation of Linux configured in the right way, you know? So it's a configuration management problem, right? Mm, right. Like I wanna, I wanna get system the system d script installed. So maybe I wanna make a package. I wanna make sure this package is on there. I wanna make sure other things are set the right way, you know? Like one the of right my right version of Java. <laughs> right. Right version of Java needs to be present. I also wanna make sure my my pet time zone. <laughs> <laughs> like my favorite time zone is in effect, so I'm not looking at UTC time for everything. <laughs> the correct time zone, you mean, right? Yes, the correct time zone, the time zone <laughs> I'm in, which is the one true time zone. And right. anyway, so there's there's all these things. And then what container... So then it's like a configuration management problem. It's like, oh, I provision a new server because like um, I, I really like to run... A nice lightweight VM in the cloud, something like a DigitalOcean droplet. It's inexpensive, and then for for less than the cost of WordPress hosting, you can have an entire VM to yourself to do whatever you want with. Right? So <laughs> to mess up all your own. Right? To mess up or or uh, make things sing. <laughs> yes, <to laughs> it's win. up to you. And so, yeah, now all of a sudden it turned into a Docker build problem, right? And then you just run the series of commands you need to make the image, and then you know all those things are going to be in place, and you can just run that container on your own machine and the exact same bits are running, whether you run it on your own dev machine or you run it on your DigitalOcean droplet, or you run it on some other machine on your network for testing. Uh, it, it just got rid of the whole configuration management problem for me. So- well I think yeah, and and I think I, I think it didn't necessarily
1: get rid of the problem. It just moved it to be part of the build process instead of being part of the deployment process. And so by being part of the build process, you can you can go further down and so your the actual from the build I'm i de- I'm done building to I'm deployed is shorter because all you need to do is Docker run. Like the right. the system all the system all the, the host system has to have installed is docker and and then you can right. um, you can run run your application and the cool thing is you can run two applications or 5 or 10 you know because each one has its own it's like static linking at the system level you know where you have all the dependencies bundled into the image and then you can have more than one of them running at the same time on the same system and manage them yeah, as their processes
0: yeah which is really neat you know and they can be responding to different ports and so on and so forth and then you can um, put something like nginx in front of them or traffic in front of them and then oh, have yes, that bind yes. to port 80 and then you can route different paths back back to those ports right and then you can run nginx or traffic in a container um so so it starts getting it starts getting as complex as you as you really want it to but the point with the containers is you 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 it does get rid of the configuration management problem a- aside from you need docker on the server <laughs> right it reduces it greatly because because the container yes you're doing a lot of things that look like configuration management in the docker build you're setting this and setting that and installing this and installing that but, but you, once that build is done, you know that that's, that work is done. You don't run into the same issues where you tried to run the configuration management process and it failed on that one server, right? Like like it's all baked into right. the image. It's ready to go. The the big know? thing just is missing. Get, just get Docker running, right? Right.
1: The big thing that's missing is convergence. You don't have to try to be like, what is the state of the system? And I need to figure out how to make it you know, <laughs> make it the way right. that I want it. It's like, no, I'm starting off with a blank system every time. And so I know that I, I know that it's gonna run successfully. And and that's yeah. that, com- convergence is a very complex and hard problem. And
0: so if by avoiding that it makes your deployment simpler. Right. And so then Docker has restart policies. So so you get your restart, you go and you do your Docker run command. Uh, you set your restart policy, and that that sucker's going. One of, one of the problems I've had, of course, with containers is getting this the stupid container onto the remote <laughs> machine in the first place. <laughs> uh, it, it feels you have like all this it, value on your local
1: system, and you just you want to move it, and you, it's just so hard. Right.
0: What Docker really needs is Docker needs something that uses SSH, right? Where I can just say like Docker push, and then the image name and then like a remote server, and then it like opens an SSH connection and it just pushes all the layers into that server and yeah. just done, you know? Or it, but, and but also, no, it, behaves it does not like, have that.
1: Right. And also it behaves like rsync, so that if you push again, it doesn't push the whole thing again. It, it right. does just the incremental, you
0: know? Right. So there's sort of two ways then. So what I've done quite a lot, it's, a, it's slow, but it's simple, is to just... Uh, dump the image you it's like docker save I can't remember yeah. off the top Do- of my head docker save Yeah, and so you would use docker save and then you get this really giant file and you can rsync it over and then docker load right um The other way is to just use a registry And you can just uh sign up for fairly inexpensive registries I know like DigitalOcean has those now Or you can run your own which is kind of a pain. So maybe don't do that. So <laughs> Docker save or sign up for a registry. Um, and, and then you just push into that. And it's a lot more efficient. Yes. Trade, trade a little bit of money for a lot of sanity. Right. And, and I guess we should mention this whole, this whole approach presumes that you have control of a machine, right? Like you're not, you're not like Heroku is a whole nother model. And we're not really discussing that here. I honestly, I haven't done Heroku in a long time. I can't even remember the steps. Right,
1: the whole platform as a service where you like push something and it does the build and it does the you know it sets it all up for you. Um, I think right. that's definitely you know a, a way that can work, um, but also um, is a way that you can not have to not have to deal with the system itself. Um,
0: right. And then there's there's ways to like deploy stuff to lambda. If you want to use lambda though and Clojure, like you probably should use grawl or something to build a executable that launches much much faster than the 2 to 4 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 uh,
1: or you can use babashka. Babashka has a, as a has a lambda layer. You could just use that instead. Oh
0: yeah, that's true. Yeah, babashka. Anyway, so there there are these alternatives just to mention them. But back to kind of our approach. So, we'll run our Java service inside a container that gives us our resta- restart policies. We could use something like Docker Compose and then spin up an Nginx container and in our actual application container and then have a little reverse proxy that writes back. And the reason why we do that is then we'll also, in our Nginx container, we'll run a little script that gets SSL certs from Let's Encrypt. And, and then puts, writes them out, you know, into a temporary file system inside the container where the Nginx layer can pick them up.
1: Yeah, it's, it's nice to have the SSL certificates be managed outside of, of your Java process. Um, so either either with a shell script, or that's one of the things we've, we've been trying lately with this thing called traffic. Trafic? <laughs> Traefik. Traefik, uh, T-R-A-E-F-I-K. Naming is fun and hard. Um, yeah, but it, it actually can it will it can actually dynamically get uh let's encrypt uh, SSL certs for you, uh depending on just on what on what the domain name is. So um that that also has really really worked well for us.
0: Yeah. So the we've been playing with we've been playing with traffic for that. Uh well, of course the problem with things like Nginx and traffic and all these things is is the configuration you end up with is really simple after you've read Uh eight hours of documentation. Oh yes. To find what the six magic lines are. You know, so Stack Overflow is your friend, I guess, for that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The the number of lines of code does not indicate the amount of effort. This this is definitely true. Uh speaking of uh, lines of effort, (laughs) um one thing that we 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 have we have used um and and it is definitely a, a possibility is to use uh Kubernetes um, you know it's kind of like you know docker on steroids um, and uh and and there are there are many many uh facilities for um for controlling and and scaling and you know du- you know duplicating your processes and all that stuff um, but it's it that would be a whole series of podcasts a whole study on in of itself to talk about how you might deploy them deploy your your containers in kubernetes um but thankfully yeah. Contain the, the images you could deploy to Kubernetes and the images you would use with Docker are, are they could be the same one. So you you can choose to accept that complexity, you know, when you want the benefits.
0: Yeah, and so speaking of what the benefits are, the benefits exist, but boy, there are really diminishing returns. So for example, <laughs> yeah. if you're running a single Docker container on a single VM with a provider such as DigitalOcean they have already virtualized your VM from the physical hardware and they can already migrate your VM on the fly between physical hardware without any downtime, right? So to some extent, you get you get hardware resiliency for free in, in that environment. So the, the idea of, oh, some node in my cluster is going to fail and I need to spin up in my container on a different node, like that's kind of already being taken care for you in certain hosting environments. Like, it's a very unlikely thing. Whereas like on EC2, Amazon is infamous for ripping out um, nodes from underneath you and forcing you to have to rebuild them all of a sudden. And so maybe if you're in AWS, then you, you have to worry more about your VMs curling up and dying, right? And if you do, well, then Kubernetes is there to help you because then you can run a cluster and Kubernetes can have restart policies where if, the server VM, no, I'll just call it node, that your container was running on uh, curls up and dies. Well, it will notice that and it will make sure your container is now running on a different one. And, and through the magic of ingress, make sure all the traffic is getting routed to the right way um, when the container moves. Yes. <laughs> it can do all that uh but um
1: but it is non trivial to get it set up so um it's right. definitely something that uh I would it would en- enlist someone who who has expertise um or maybe use their managed EKS um system uh just to, I, I think DigitalOcean has a as a managed Kubernetes as well so I think it's gotten to the point where Kubernetes is becoming a a a utility service and um and so the only thing you really have to deal with at this point is the um the 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 lovely descriptor files, um,
0: the oodles and oodles of YAML, um, and right. and the and the ilk and fun that has. <laughs> so I would say offhand, if you're not managing Kubernetes yourself, but you're using it, the benefits are scaling. So it can it can do auto scaling for you without having to hook into some proprietary auto scaling API like AWS's, and it can help. Um, ensure a certain level of resiliency by moving things around as nodes die if they die out from under you so those those would be the most obvious two of why you might want to reach for kubernetes but of course my my philosophy is if you're wondering if kubernetes is the solution to your problem the answer is likely no <laughs> because if you knew that kubernetes would solution to your problem probably you need it need to use it if if you don't know that yet you probably don't need it yet <laughs> you don't need it yet because of all the other problems that it has hiding behind it, the answer that it's providing you <laughs> Yeah, I think I it's think, like a Trojan horse of problems, right? Oh yeah. yeah, we have your solution right here, but don't open the box. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I think many many years ago you said to me, you know, every time
1: you accept a new component or a new something into your system, you are also accepting its additional complexity, and and that's that stuck with me. And I think it's really appropriate in this situation that there's a lot of benefits to Kubernetes, but there's also a lot of complexity that you're accepting. So you have to des- decide if that's the trade off you're willing to take. And saddle the rest of your life right. with. <laughs> Sorry, a little too easy. But intense. you
0: can get really far with like a platform as a service type thing like Heroku or with like reliable VMs with Docker and restart policies on like DigitalOcean. You get really, really far with those without having to reach for Kubernetes. Yep, yep, definitely. Well, I think uh, maybe that's all we
1: have to talk about. But I think that Feels like there's a lot of things that other people might have out there. You know, we've just kind of talked about the ways we have deployed Kubernetes, or uh, not Kubernetes, <laughs> we have deployed Closure, um, but we want to know uh, what you've done. You know, what you have found successful, what have you have found that to be simple um, uh, and, and useful? And so, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you um, on our uh, Closureian Slack channel, Closure Design Podcast, um, or or you can send us a tweet at Closure Design or an email to feedback at closuredesign.club. We'd love to chat. Please reach out.
0: Yes, if this whole conversation makes you pine for the days where we debated about software deployment being an installer versus a static binary versus a linked binary, (laughs) we would love to hear your opinions on that matter too. Uh, We're we're always uh, happy to chat. And you can go find our show notes and our past episodes on the web at closuredesign.club if you want to read more about our Web of Complexity series. Yeah, great. Let us know if you find anything out there interesting. You want us to talk about it.
1: Uh, so, But that's all for this week. We'll be next week with another topic of conversation. Thanks for listening.